This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PDT. Episode 52, an interview about technology and ANSYS with ANSYS CTO, Prith Banerjee, and VP and General Manager of the Design Business Unit, Mark Hinsbow. Welcome once again to our podcast. I'm recording this the day before I enter a turkey-induced coma from Thanksgiving, but you'll be listening to this probably after Thanksgiving, so I hope all of our listeners in the U.S. had a nice holiday and enjoyed the food, the family, and friends, as well as any other activities you had over the four-day weekend. I hope everybody had a good time. Uh, This is a very special episode of the podcast, a little bit different. Uh, We're going to share an interview we did back in July. The original plan uh, was to talk with four or five of the senior executives, VP and above type folks at ANSYS, but because of scheduling and conflicts and such, we were only able to do this one discussion with the two people that were able to make the initial um, uh, interview. And we never could really pull off the things with the other executives. They were all very eager. We kept on setting up times and we kept on canceling. So instead of waiting uh, another six months, we thought we'd go ahead and just share what we have, which is still a very, very good discussion because it's a a 45-minute talk that we had with the CTO and the VP of the design products. So um, why don't we take a listen and I'll let them explain what they do and we'll have a great discussion and we'll see you on the other side. Hi there. We're here talking today with a kind of a who's who of the people that run the various business units at ANSYS Inc. And I want to thank all of you there in Pittsburgh for joining me today here in Phoenix. Hi, guys. Hey, Eric. How's it going? So uh, there's quite a few of you there. So let's just start off by letting you guys go around the room and introduce yourselves and and let us know uh, your name, your title, what business unit you're responsible for, what your responsibility is at the company, because I know some of you are over the business units. And um, also, uh, we always like to know how long you've been in the world of simulation. Okay. Well, uh, let me begin. Uh, My name is Mark Hinsbo. I am the VP and general manager of our design business unit. Um, The design business unit is here to get simulation out in the hand of every single engineer, Uh, you know, not not just the uh, analyst, although, of course, we love the analyst at ANSYS, Mm -hmm. uh, but we we love simulation uh, so much that we would like every engineer to benefit from it. Right. And we can talk more about that later. Um, I've been with ANSYS for about four years, uh, and... I have a broad uh, software business background. I am, I am actually a nuclear physicist and wrote simulations in a whole different realm, mm-hmm. uh, more high energy physics way back. Well, you know, I've always wanted a plasma simulation tool in ANSYS, so in your spare time, if you want to dust that off and put it in there, it'd be really helpful for our semiconductor customers, semiconductor uh, manufacturing customers. Yeah, and maybe some of our aerospace people yeah. as well. Yeah, starting to get into that plasma range. Okay, who's next? So I am Prith Banerjee, I'm the Chief Technology Officer of ANSYS, and I have joined the company about a year ago. Previously, I used to be CTO at ABB, Schneider Electric, and before that, I spent some time in academia. I worked in the area of simulation for more than 25 years. My role as CTO is to set the long-term technology strategy for ANSYS, so to go beyond the current products that we have, what should we be working on in terms of newer technology, newer products, newer solutions, and services? That is my role. Very cool. You get to do the fun stuff. Let me go ahead and ask uh, my next question. It was really, um, 
and and I, I just saw Mark a few days ago. So some of these are actually spawned by some of the conversations we had when we were when I was there in Pittsburgh. But um, one of the things that I kind of came away with from my last trip out there was there's some these some of these big megatrends that we're seeing out there in simulation, like autonomous vehicles, electrification. Uh, what we see here at PADT is people trying to put more electronics in less space that generates more heat. Um, you know, what, what are you two guys focused on in terms of these kind of mega trends and, and what is ANSYS doing to help with those trends? So let me begin and I have Mark uh, chime mm -hmm. in. So, so you're absolutely right. We are working, we obviously, as you know, we have a whole set of products uh, at ANSYS around our mechanical products, fluids, mm -hmm. electronics and so on. But those are products. What we are working on is sort of solutions in front of our customers. So we are working on autonomous vehicle solutions, right? And so essentially, when you're looking at AV, you have to look at all this multiple sensors that you have, the camera, the LIDAR, and, and the radar, and so on. And essentially, we are bringing in our products, our solutions from our Optis business unit, our electronics business unit, and then putting it into what is called, we, we create scenario, scenario generation, and so on. Then we are working, we are essentially putting out a complete vertical solution with our top customers. We just did an announcement with BMW to talk mm -hmm. about ANSYS AV solution in their autonomous vehicle space. Similarly, we are working on electrification. Now, many of the of our automotive customers are, are in the transition going from the inter internal combustion engine to the electric vehicle, right? So what, what is involved in electric vehicle, right? So essentially the electric motor is, is a change thing, right? So we have our Maxell product, but trying to look at it, well, how will it actually drive electric vehicle? Then we have mm -hmm. talk about batteries, battery modeling, simulation, so on. So we have a complete sort of vertical solution for electrification, and we are working with the likes of Volkswagen. We just announced a very uh, exciting partnership with Volkswagen and with Cummins on our electrification solution. Moving beyond, we have identified sort of 5G as a big mega trend, uh, right? Yes. Companies like Ericsson and Nokia, they're all focused on 5G and everybody's excited about 5G. So we have a 5G set of solutions that we're working on, which is all about antenna designs and how do you place antennas and how, how do you do sort of PCB designs to support antennas and all the kind of stuff from electronics, semiconductor electronics and, and all the way around, right? Then in terms of other mega trends, I mean, uh, people are talking about additive manufacturing, right? Big mm -hmm. deal. So we have a solution for simulation to support additive manufacturing. Then we have uh, a mega trend around sort of digital twins. Everybody talks about IoT and digital twins. And I, when I worked for ABB and Schneider Electric, we used to talk about uh, sort of IoTizing all our products. So we have a fantastic physics-based simulation tool to drive digital twins across all industries. Mm -hmm. So those are a few of the mega trends that I'm focused on. And again, uh, Mark is focused on a, another very, very big mega trend around Discovery Live, which I'm asking him to chip in. Yeah, and I and 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 I think there are there are the solutions that you and I uh, spoke about, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Eric. Right? That that I mean, we all see the same, right? Because we all participate in the same industry, and they're really driven by our end customers and and, and their needs and and how they can innovate their their products. And and they're all the ones that Prith mentioned, uh, and 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 maybe a couple more. Um, and from from a simulation perspective. The awesome thing is that these things have now become so complex that that theoretically, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you could go address some of these challenges without simulation, but you just can't today. Mm -hmm. 
the you know five G and and the density of of cell towers and uh, the latency rates and everything else, right? I don't know how you would solve that engineering challenges in, in a reasonable go-to-market without simulating the whole thing. Similarly with autonomous, right? You have to drive billions of miles, um, and people have estimated that that's going to take us something like 8,000 years to do <laughs> physically. Right? Um, and I don't think any of the car companies have an 8,000-year go-to-market plan. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so you simply have to... To, to to drive them virtually or simulate them virtually um, and and so on so that that drives our our you know our business and then we have some other trend trends that might take you know all of those are trends that take more simulation into classic product development if you want mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and then we have a couple other trends you know like democratization where we say hey how can we help every single engineer make as many decisions as humanly possible themselves as they're iterating instead of having to round trip, it's almost like in the old days, right, where if you were in the accounting department, if you have to go ask the mainframe guy to run a program every time you have to have a new report, right, right there's, there's going to be less iterative insight. So that's one trend in, in simulation. And and then you could argue digital twin is another one where it, it actually isn't the human being spawning uh, the simulation anymore, but it's the machine spawning it on demand itself based on its sensor data and maybe an AI helping it. And then that will spawn a, a simulation to make a decision on maintenance or operations or so on, right? That's a whole, you know, different trend in and of itself as well. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think the AI. We, we we'll have to come back in a couple of years and talk about AI because I think yeah. it's going to be a great discussion to have in simulation. But I want to go back to something that Prith said and kind of it was, you know, sometimes we get so buried in these things that I forget the, the obvious. We really have made a shift from providing point solutions that the users had to cobble together to come up with a full solution to really looking at that whole workflow and what are all the tools you need to solve a given vertical problem. And, and that, that really has been a shift in the last couple of years. I didn't, it didn't really kind of dawn on me until you spelled it out there. So it's an so important thing. That's from effort that we are actually working. So from the CTO office, I'm driving sort of two initiatives, one around AI, ML, mm -hmm. uh, like to simulation and sort of platform, multi-physics platforms of like to simulation. And Eric, you just nailed it on the head. I mean, essentially, how do you take all these different point tools, right? And across this autonomous electrification, right? If you're a customer like Ericsson or a customer like BMW, right? How do you actually take these 10 different tools and make it all work, sort of work together through the right modern APIs so that you can call the right APIs from sort of application, uh, application services, simulation services, and infrastructure services. That's how we are building our platform. But yeah, that's what I'm really excited about. Yes. In some, but that's the technology that's going to drive these new solutions. Right. And and tying it back to what Mark was saying is there's a lot of stuff people are trying to do, our customers are trying to do, that they couldn't get there without simulation. So we need these tools. Yeah. <laughs> um, we could talk about that forever, but let's move on. Um, so one of the questions I get a lot from users, and you guys might be able to help uh, answer it, is, you know, how do you, how does your team decide really what you're going to work on in upcoming releases? You know, what does that process look like? I, th I think there's a a lot of mystery out there on on how a feature gets decided to go into the, to a code or a whole new code gets written. Yeah, and and I mean it it, it is a pretty big and important uh, uh, process, right? But mm -hmm. but I think it, it starts with 
One is, yes, there are a couple of things that go into a single release, but I'd sort of back out and say, hey, we, we plan you know, multi-releases, even multi-years. Right. It, it starts on one hand, it starts with all the trends we just talked about. So if we want to help our customers solve the autonomous challenge and be able to simulate 8 billion miles, mm-hmm. what do we need to do? Right? right. And maybe we need to add capabilities that we, you know, that we didn't have before. Maybe we need to partner with someone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like in the autonomous, someone needs to figure out how to create scenarios. It is not helpful that every time you need to create another, oh, this is a four way intersection and this is a three way intersection and this is how they do it in Pittsburgh and this is how you do it in, mm-hmm. in, in Beijing. Right. So to be able to simulate it, it has to start with someone has to create the scenarios, for instance, right, which is something we've never thought about before. So you, right. start, you start on one end with, hey, here are the, these you know, uh, large opportunities for simulation to help product development, and what do we need to do to, to, to deliver value? And then on the, on, the, on, the, on the other end of that, you have direct feedback from your customers uh, in existing production that says, Oh, all of this is great, but I need feature X, right? Mm-hmm. Your it, multilinear plasticity model is not good enough in this instance, or you know you're lacking a set of materials, or whatever it could be, right? So, so you have on one hand you have very long-term strategic, on the other hand you might sometimes have uh, very short-term, very clear tactical needs. And then what we do is we go in. We're actually in the midst of kicking off that process. Um, we 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 start out really individual business unit by individual business unit uh, planning. What do we think has to happen over the next 18 months or so? Um, mm-hmm. And back that into individual releases. And then once we're, we've, we've done that, we go into a, a planning process that is more cross-functional. So what dependencies do we have on each other? You know, I might have planned on something, but it's dependent on someone else. And that also layers in, to your point, right, those cross-scenarios. If we are to solve... Uh, the autonomous scenario, and that includes, you know, mechanical, uh, fluids, uh, thermal, uh, electromagnetic simulation. What are the cross uh, things we need to put together? And and then ultimately, once we've been through, you know, both of those big vectors, right? Individual BU narrowly thinking and cross BU company thinking, it, it ends up being a, a feature map uh, for the next three releases or so. So let me complement uh, what mm-hmm. Mark talked about, right? So these are three levels of of customer input that we get, right? So I, as a CTO of the company, I am routinely sort of involved myself in CTO to CTO level conversations, right? So I have sort of meetings with uh, CTO at Ford, for example, right? Hey, Ken Washington, what what are your your challenges, mm-hmm. right? John mm-hmm. Lockner, CTO at, at GM, right? So we have those CTO to CTO level conversations in in one-on-one meetings, in conferences, and so on. We are at the Paris Air Show, talk to a lot of CTOs about what their needs are in the aerospace, automotive, whatever kind of space, right? That is one set of things that are going. Second thing is we have a customer advisory council. For example, uh, we, we I mean, across BUs, we have many of the uh, uh, sort of, we put together about 20, 30 customers that come, come together and collectively they provide input, right, to our, our leadership. But the most effective way that we bring in uh, sort of uh, input requirements is from our large ACE organization. As you know, Eric, we have right. a very large, fantastic ACE organization. And those people, these ACE engineers are working with customers throughout the world, right? So we have ACE people from North America, ACE people from Europe, ACE people from, from Asia. 
they come in. Like, for example, last week we had the electronics business unit planning meeting, right? Four days of planning meeting where these ACE leaders come in from around the world, right? And they say, from an ACE perspective, right, from North America, this is what we are seeing as requests for our HFSS product for, for EBU, okay? Mm -hmm. So, and they may say, rattle up these 10 features that they want, right? I want this, I want everybody want, right? So you take this list of things, Clearly, it's a resource issue, right? You cannot solve all of it. So you look for commonalities, right? What are people looking? Oh, well, looking for this mega trend like 5G and so on. Oh, we really need to solve that 5G thing, how you position antennas and so on. So we put that into the thing, right? Or in the autonomous case, there is a feature for uh, sort of uh, uh, autonomous Doppler processing, ADP. Oh, let, we need to do that. Oh, we have this non-conformal mapping thing that we have to do for meshing. Oh, we need a tower meshing. So essentially, you have this long list of features that the ACE engineers and leadership brings together to our BU leaders. So, okay. And then, of course, we have to say, well, we have just 100 people, right? What can 100 mm -hmm. people do in the next 18 months? <laughs> so we prioritize and we come up with some plans. In these uh, EBU planning meetings, we'll bring, as Mark was saying, the other leaders come in and say, oh, okay, you need this from a cross-BU perspective, from EBU to talk to our me mechanical business unit because it's the multi-physics part that is needed. Mm -hmm. So this process just got started from last week. And now it will continue through October, right? And sort of a big planning meeting. And then in October, we say, okay, these are the resources we have in the company and collectively, I'm sure you know that we spend mm -hmm. about 200 million in R&D, about 1,500 R&D developers. So right. what are these 1,500 developers going to work on on our product features, release one, release two, release three in 2020? That's sort of the overall scheme of things. That's fantastic. I think there's a lot of people that wanted to know what that looked like. <clears throat> and the ACE input for a lot of our listeners is critical because that's where they interact. It, I mean, hopefully we have a few CTOs that listen, but I think that uh, the majority of the users do have interaction with the support team. And uh, the fact that that gets into the loop and is an important part of the setting, what's, what's needed is really critical. So lesson learned, if you want something, need something, don't just say I need it or this doesn't work. Make sure you tell them why you need it and what the value is to you so they can get it back into the development team. And, and the last thing you said, Eric, is 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 super important, right? Because we, we get, as, as any product, software product organization, right? We get a million feature requests. So, <laughs> so, so it becomes the art of how do you say no to 90% of them and which 10% are right. the right ones. Um, so the more you can get it with a use case attached, Mm -hmm. Right. The 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 better it is for all of us. And by the way, the better the feature you know becomes at the end, right? Right. Yeah. Because it could you know uh, physics is so wonderfully horizontal, but the way you apply uh, maybe the high frequency analysis in the autonomous realm might be slightly different than you do it in the five G realm. So you really need that use case attached so that we can make big, good product decisions. Very good point. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, kind of along the lines of, of new stuff and new features, uh, Ansys has, has partnered with folks, acquired folks, introduced new products, quite a few recently. Uh, my favorite, because of my background in mechanism design, is partnering on motion. So we have a, we're working with a South Korean company on a really cool uh, uh, tool that allows us to do very sophisticated uh, rigid body dynamics type stuff, which I love. I'm an old Adams user, so having it in, built into Ansys is great. What What's, the, like, for you two, what's your favorite new tool, either acquired or written or partnered with? 
Well, I, I would obviously be biased. So I would say organically, I feel like Discovery Live is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's, it's the it, coolest. I'll say yeah, that. <laughs> it, 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 it's definitely the coolest. But but if I if I sort of take that off the table, I actually think that the Granta acquisition we yeah. did is pretty spectacular, um, and it and it's spectacular because it'll help all of us. Right? There's so much material knowledge, um, and and really really good simulations require, you know very good material knowledge. And then as you look at at the sort of, the, you know, early prototype development where you also have to think about other things than just, you know, what's my young modules or what's my viscosity and, and so on, right? You also have to think about things like sustainability, uh, you know, price manufacturability and so on, right? Granta really has a wealth of knowledge that I think we've only scratched this, or I know that we have only scratched the surface of how it's going to make things better across the entire board for all of us. Yeah, we're going to so we're going to focus on a few things from my perspective. Yeah, as, go ahead, please. As the CEO of the company, right? So, I mean, when you look at our users, right, and they are using simulation, and so what are they looking in simulation in terms of improving the quality of simulation? They want to improve run times, right? I mean, some of our things take like thousand hours to run, and obviously, we would like to speed things up. So, anything that we do to speed things up is is of value. They are looking at the accuracy. You can speed things up if you are willing to give up on the accuracy, right? Mm -hmm. And so that they, we need to work on the accuracy and runtime trade-off. Then we have to look at the stability, the so reliability of this thing. Does it work all the time, right? I mean, right. maybe it will run sort of 90% of the time, but 10% of the time these things just croak, right? So, I mean, we tried to do meshing and it didn't do the meshing and then it's kind of fails, right? And the ultimate, the final thing is the ease of use, right? So essentially across our tools, we have, putting a lot of fantastic features in terms of, for example, mosaic, mosaic meshing that you know, that came yes. out in, in our Wonderful. two and two, right? Mm -hmm. Fantastic technology, which enables us to do more things much, much faster. With mosaic meshing, the speed goes up to the roof, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with our tau meshing that we announced uh, in our EBU product, right? I mean, there were things that did not work in those most complicated antenna designs, right? Or cell phones. And now it does work, right? So essentially, it's, it's addressing the robustness issue. So these are some product features that we are very excited about in terms of cool technologies like tower meshing, mosaic meshing, mm -hmm. that enables things. With respect to run times, right, we have always had the issue, right? We, we run our things on, on our workstation, right? And then if you want to go things, move things up, you have to move to high-performance computing, HPC. Mm -hmm. But if you look at HPC, how many people can afford to buy a Cray machine, right? You cannot. Right. So therefore, you have to think about going to the cloud, right? Once you go to Amazon or Microsoft Azure, you have like 10 million cores, if, if you could afford, <laughs> right? To run it on those. So our Fluent tools runs in a very scalable way on 200,000 cores on a Cray machine. So always we have thought about, can we go to the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, we have in the past worked with our cloud hosting partners like like uh, Rescale and Index and so on. Mm -hmm. But this last um, uh, June, right, in our two release, we had this Ansys Cloud, in a, which is a cloud-native solution. I'm very excited about it, right? From the desktop, you want to do cloud bursting, you want to go to the on-prem data center, you could do it. You could go all the way to the Microsoft Azure Cloud, you could do that. And doing that in a very interesting way, tied with some of the newer business models that we've got around Ansys Cloud, elastic units and so on that I'm sure you have seen. I think the future is all around the cloud, right? People will do CAD design on the cloud, they do simulation on the cloud, collaboration on the cloud. So there is a cloud piece and there's a platform piece that we are working on 
to allow for PLM, et cetera, et cetera. SPDM is technology called simulation process data management on the cloud. These are really, really good because it's less about running a particular simulation faster, it's about the whole workflow. Can I improve the overall workflow? And that will be done through the cloud, through the platforms, the stuff that I'm talking about. These are things that I am personally very excited about. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's gonna change the way we do our job. Um, and make us more efficient. It's going to be, it's going to be a big, big shift uh, when when all that's up and work, working. Being able to being able to solve in the cloud uh, is pretty exciting. Yeah. Think I, about I, how our productivity tools. Like when mm -hmm. I had a work document, I send it to you, Eric, for edits. Mm -hmm. Then he, you send it to Mark. Right? They're all emailing our word files together with Google Docs. We can simultaneously edit the file. Right? It's so much right. easier. Right? I, mm -hmm. I, I'm doing editing from my cell phone, iPad, workstation, etc. The same thing is going to happen in the CAD and simulation world, and yep. we just have to be prepared for it. Yep, be ready, ready for it, and have the right solution. That's so true. Um, so one of the things we talk about uh, at Ansys is really as a as a goal, especially as we've kind of kind of made the transitions uh, with new man new new uh, CEO over the last couple of years, is this idea of really making pervasive simulation a reality. So that's you know getting tools into the hands of more engineers so that more people can drive designs with simulation. Um, so, so this is more of a philosophical question, really. But what what challenges do you see in spreading? Not necessarily we have to write more code, but what organizational challenges or or uh, process challenges do you see in spreading simulation deeper and wider in various industries? I think uh, I think Eric and you and I have talked a lot about mm -hmm. this. Right? The, the you know if you look at all technology that has become pervasive, it's become pervasive for 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 two reasons, probably mainly. Mm -hmm. One one you got to an ease of use where a much much broader set of population could use it. Right, that was true for the GUI, um, um, uh, on 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 the PC um, and so on. And you also get to a certain speed. Uh, right, the if if we sort of go back to you know, uh, Gothenburg's uh, printing press. That was not easier to use than writing, mm -hmm. but you could, you, you did, it didn't take a monk a full year to write a book, right? You, right. you, could, you could do a copy in a couple of seconds. Um, you know, and, and, and it was true to a certain extent, you could argue for the, for the internet back in the day where all of us had to do dial-up modems right. and it took us 25 minutes just to get connected. You wouldn't check the weather or your stock quote, right? Mm -hmm. Because investing 25 minutes in that process made no sense. Right. So you have to get technology to a place where it's reasonably interactive, mm -hmm. um, and and where it's reasonably ease of use. And th and then you and then in terms of cultural on both sides, you also have have to let go of certain things. Um, and what you know uh, on on the inside, like we are proud rocket scientists, mm -hmm. right? In in the broadest sense, at Ansys. But that doesn't mean that we have to surface every knob and dial to the end user, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right. And sort of hey, look at how. how smart we are right here all the things you could go tweak that that's culturally not helpful uh, you know I, use, I i a lot of times with my team use you know uh, google search given that prith you know brought up google mm -hmm. as an example you know being able to query the entire web in 100 milliseconds and serve up a result i think all of us can in, inherently look at that and say man what a set of database you know query AI technology must that require, but the user interface is a simple text box. Right. right? Where it's not a, a, a an SQL query mm -hmm. where where I do some Boolean logic 
and, and to use database fields, right? In which case, Google searches have gone nowhere. Um, so part of us is taking the stuff that we're most pride, proud of, <laughs> right? The simulation technology, to a certain extent, hiding it. You know, you should not know, um, uh, depending on Reynolds number or, or whatever it is, which turbulence model to use. Right. It should just be slotted in on demand. You should not know which meshing algorithm. It, it not the normal engineer should not know that, right? Mm -hmm. Necessarily, you should be a good engineer, know about material properties uh, and 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 so on. Uh, but the fact that you know, uh, 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 you know, double uh, points have uh, some error that we're doing, mm -hmm. uh, uh, right? Numerical uh, corrections on the backside should just be hidden. And that's probably internally answers one of the biggest cultural things because we're so, in a good way, proud of the stuff that we're doing, and and we love to be geeks. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, one of the things we just shipped, uh, for instance, in the new Discovery Live is thermal stress. Right. I, everyone who's been in uh, in simulation for a while knows that that's multiple you know solvers being coupled uh, to each other. But the setup is is just thermal stress, right? It's in, it, it's Hey, I want to do a thermal stress analysis. Fine, you know, give me uh, some kind of temperature or heat input, and give me some structural boundary condition, and we're done. Right. Um, so, so that that's one. And then, of course, on the customer side, there's an equal cultural change that that has to happen um, because processes will change. Um, one of the things I preached recently and, and that got a, people's eyebrows to pop up a little bit, I preached what I've, I've provocatively called careless engineering. <laughs> okay, that makes the hair stand up on the back. Exactly, of that yeah. does make, and that's sort of deliberate because in no ways would I want you know, people to be careless right. and all of a sudden we have products that explode in the faces of our users, right? But because a lot of things have, be, have historically been expensive, Mm -hmm. um, you know, physical testing is super expensive. Right? It costs millions of dollars to do a jet engine. Right. A failed simulation run on 10,000 cores that ran all weekend and tied up my supercomputing cluster is expensive. So we've taught our engineers not to ask too many what-if questions. Right? Ah. Come, come to me with a almost final spec and I will verify that it's correct. That is not how innovation is done, right? Uh, Dyson did 5,500 prototypes over 10 years to change the, the vacuum cleaner, right? Uh, you know, penicillin was done by an accident because all of a sudden there was one of the Petri dishes, uh, right, that behaved differently, but it was it was by accident. We need to be more careful, careless, right? We need to have right. more accidents up front. And experimentation now can be extremely cheap where we're going. You can ask 5,000 what if questions in an, in an afternoon. And the cost of making a mistake is an undo button. But we're mentally not quite wired that way because we've been so uh, disciplined in a lot of those mistakes being so inherently cost costly. But you actually want to make them upfront in your design process. And then, of course, don't be careless at the end of your design process. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, 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 I wrote down a note. I, I want to come back and talk to you about that in the future. I think that's a really good topic to really delve into. It makes me very uncomfortable, which usually yeah. means it's a good topic. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. What about what about you, Prith? What what do you uh, what do you well, see barriers out most, there? Most of the things. I mean, since we are okay. out of time, I will not not okay. go about this. Uh, okay. I mean, in general, it is along the message of making 
simulation easy to use and the platform technology I was talking about, right? Today, our engineers spend so much time in making sure the our HFSS tool, here is how you write this sort of, this Python script to, to write the file into the sort of ANSYS mechanical or that into the workbench and so on. And, and the engineers are spending their time on the actual submitting of the jobs and so on and so forth. And they just get the scripts together to kind of work. And then we have a new release and things don't work anymore, right? So imagine a situation where through a true modern set of APIs and modern set of platforms, this tool flow becomes so easy to use. So the engineers can really focus on the engineering problems at hand, right? When it, as Mark was saying, when Dyson engineers are trying to do the vacuum cleaner, right? They have to do 50,000 different versions of it. Imagine that the tool flow said, here is the vacuum cleaner thing, right? right. And you set up through some automatic parameterization process, right? I'm going to make the vacuum stronger, 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 right? And there are 20 different sort of horsepowers of the pump that automatically get generated, right? I don't have to physically enter those things, right? It just comes in, right? You tell the design tool in English, right? I want thermal stress of this over 5,000 variations, right? And it automatically sets these things up and the engineer focuses on the engineering problem, not on how these tools are connected together, not all this, which is, so uh, we want to make it easy for the engineer, right? I mean, way back when, we used to know how to solve integrations and calculations, right? We learned this in, in math school. Now using Mathematica, you can just type in the stuff, out comes the stuff, right? So right. I, as a scientist, can focus on the integration, not on actual formula doing the integration, right? I mean, when we are in sort of high school, we learned how to multiply. Now you can type it in the calculator, right? Mm -hmm. So easier. So that's the whole point, right? Very good point. <laughs> can I make this a much easier user interface, as Mark was talking about, and make the job of engineers so much easier? Because today what happens is, among the 100 engineers in a company, only 2% of the engineers are really using the simulation tools. 98% people are using MATLAB, Simulink. Why? Because it's easy to use. Mm -hmm. We want our tools to be as easy as MATLAB. Cool. Cool. And we are seeing that. I think it's very obvious that every release we get closer to that. Um, even to the point of like changing on the mechanical side, updating the user interface to a, to a more modern ribbon um, has been, I love it. It's fantastic. And it does make it more usable for more people, little things like that. Um, so we are running out a little bit of time. So um, I got two more questions for you guys. The, the first one is, um, when I interview users, I always ask them, hey, ANSYS developers may be listening. Do you want to send them a message? Well, hey, people who are in charge of ANSYS development over there, there's users listening. What message do you want to share with the users out there? So this is kind of what I talked about in terms of the process, right? And there's sort of three levels of feedback that we get. Mm -hmm. at the CTO to CTO level. So, so if you're an engineer, right, make sure that your request or whatever is making it to the sort of CTO at Ford yes. so that the CTO at Ford, when I talk to him, he will say, hey, th th we really want you to work on model-based systems engineering or moving to the cloud or whatever. That's the highest mm -hmm. level. Second highest level is make sure that when your company is invited to the customer advisory boards, you kind of show up or make sure that whoever is representing your company and that advisory board shows up. But those are really hard things to do as an engineer. What I would do is, as we just talked about, right? Mm -hmm. You, our engineers are working day to day with the ACE engineers, and if you don't like a feature, you want this sort of tau meshing kind of a feature to support a non-conformal map mapping. Mm -hmm. Make sure that is known, right? And if enough engineers scream for a feature, it will show up in their priorities, right? Right. If Ten people across the world 
in not only in North America, not only just here in Phoenix, right? But 10 customers around the world are screaming for a feature, it will happen, right? If everybody wanted the cloud, we will push it to the cloud. If right. nobody wants the cloud, we will not push the cloud. Good point. So that's sort of the point. Make sure your input is going to the ACE engineer that is working with you, with you day to day. Yeah, don't assume someone else has submitted it. They may have, but getting the multiple submissions really helps you guys see the, the, the strength of the need. That's a really good point. Yeah. How about you, Mark? Any anything you want to share? I want to, our users no, to know. I, I think for I mean certainly in terms of getting feedback to us, you know, work with the work with our you know like you, Eric, right? With 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 the the partners that we have, mm -hmm. um, or with our own or ACE organization, and get us the input. You know, like the reason why we were together the last couple of weeks was because we had a channel advisor council. So I just add that equally to our own ACE organization, the fact that we have. You know, very. I mean, Eric, it's very hard for me to distinguish between the fact that you, you have your own company and, and that you're part of Ansys, <laughs> yeah. right? Because, I, you know, the, the feedback flow flows very well, right? And, and if it's said of our, our most trusted partners say, hey, listen, we have a set of, of users that really needs this, it gets pumped up in priorities for sure, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so my last question is kind of out there and get out your crystal ball, right? And you know, we've got some tech on the drawing board like AI and, and machine learning that, that, that we know we're going to be playing with and, and finding a place for. But let's go even further out there. What, 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 what excites you that's, that's out there that's not even on the drawing board yet that you think will be mainstream in 5, 10, 15 years? Actually, I, I would like to point out on AIML. I mean, we are yes. just scratching the surface of it. Okay. So I would just tell you what the opportunity is, right? Yeah. So when we typically solve a mechanical solution, right? Uh, electromagnetic simulation on HFSS, right? You take a large thing and we compute the electromagnetic field, electrical fields and magnetic fields, right? We go back to Maxwell's equations, solve it numerically using finite element methods, finite volume methods, etc., right? And it takes a lot of time to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when you do this and you are trying to design an antenna and there is a slight modification of design of antenna and you run the whole thing again, again, that takes a thousand hours. Then you change the design a little bit and you run it again and it changes, runs it again a thousand hours, right? So with AI machine learning, there are a few sort of things that we think will be highly disruptive. One is just the user flow. These tools are, as you know, as I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure you've used the tools, right? Very difficult to use. It's sort of for the high-end sort of the nuclear physicist that Mark was, right? When mm -hmm. he was uh, uh, in Europe, right? But I mean, the, those PhD people know how to use the tool. They knew how finite element methods work how the machine should work, should I use rectangular machine, triangular machine, tetrahedral machine, this, that, et cetera, convergence, and boom, it runs, right? So these tools, you, you can have AI machine learning watching what the high-end user is doing and then sort of learn with time and pretty soon you will submit a job like, you will, you will say it in, in English, do the thermal stress analysis or do the wing design for a Boeing 737 MAX plane and it will set up all the fluent settings to to simulate the lift on, mm -hmm. on, on, on the flowing tool, right? That's uh, out there. Second thing, and that's what we call is the general area of customer productivity. Mm -hmm. Second thing, very, very big area is, can AI speed up simulation? And, 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 and we have a hypothesis that it does. Good. So imagine you are, you, you, are, you are setting up HFSS, what's a very small geometric primitive, like a sphere, a rectangle, a triangle, or whatever. And, and you, you throw it a sphere and it does the EM simulation. Then you throw it a rectangle, it does the simulation. Pretty soon, you give it a new structure and it can, without doing a simulation, you can guess what the output should be. 
this is right. That's completely crazy. And we have shown some early results where the runtime of simulation can go from 10 days to one hour, right? Wow. Massive, massive things. Mm -hmm. But these are out there in the future years, right? In the five to 10 year period, mm -hmm. these are the kinds of things that you will see. Now, ultimately in 10 years, what is gonna happen is when you're trying to deploy a 5G system, it is not just a 5G antenna, which today we are working with our companies like Ericsson on, but people like, like uh, Verizon or AT&T, they are going to deploy 5G across the world or 5G across the US, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, to simulate those things at a city level, the city of Pittsburgh, right. city of Phoenix, right? Requires massive system level simulation. But system level simulation, you can do it with MATLAB, but you lose the accuracy. So the, the beautiful thing is using reduced order models, can I take the really accurate simulation of HFSS and extract it, abstract it, but instead of running it 10,000 hours, it'll run in a second, then mm -hmm. it'll string a thousand of those things, thousand antennas in a city of Phoenix, and the whole thing runs at a system level accurately with reduced order models. That's the system level vision that, that we are thinking about, we are imagining, and I think mm -hmm. it will come in the next Good. 10 years. I hope so. I'm excited about the system level across physics is very exciting, very, very exciting. How about you, Mark? What's your, what's your crystal ball say? I, I think you need to change, for me, the premise of your question. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> because, no, and, and the one I mean is because you say, what is not even on the drawing board that will be mainstream in five to 10? Okay. I think every single thing that will be mainstream in five to 10 years, we have on the drawing board Okay, today, good, point. Right? good point. Whether that's sort of AI changing it, or it's, it's uh, IoT where the device itself can reconfigure itself because sensor data has changed or or whatever it is, right? Um, so, so you know, you could either say, hey, listen, what do you have on the drawing board today? <laughs> that would be mainstream. Well, I, I don't want you to give away anything proprietary. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but I, I think Chris answered that well. It's yeah. not proprietary, right? I do think AI will have a profound uh, impact on simulation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will displace simulation because stuff you can put in an equation it's much, much better solved by, by you know, you're, you spend 10,000 hours, you know, training an AI in something that the solver can solve in 15 seconds. Right. That's stupid, right? But on the flip side, figuring out what is the right configuration, as Prith said, right, to optimally set this up or making a fuzzy logic decision mm -hmm. um, uh, on something or understanding design intent uh, or something like that are stuff that AIs will be more. So once you couple predictive simulation with 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 more decision, you know, higher level decision making mm -hmm. in AIs, I think you get some very very interesting uh, scenarios as as sort of one of the the areas that we're working on and investing in. I think things like additive manufacturing that we've been talking about, right? It, it it's not mainstream today, right? It is not, and it will take five to ten years before it becomes right. mainstream, right? When will we have FDA? Uh, approval or, or FAA approval for using additive manufacturing uh, in a plane or in a stint or whatnot, right? Those things just take time. Right. Um, um, and then you can speculate beyond five to 10 years and you can come up in the realm of, of sort of in, in, insanity, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> nanobots and, and biological systems and so on, right? Actually, on the topic of 10 years out there, mm -hmm. I, I think this is what Mark just mentioned, triggered a thought, right? We today focus on sort of the physics world of simulation. We simulate mechanics, fluids, electromagnetic, and so on. What we do not simulate today well is biological systems, right? Right. You look at the pharma industry. I mean, in the US alone, they're spending like 160, $170 billion, right? As mm -hmm. to get a new drug, 
it costs a drug company like Pfizer $2 billion to come up with a new drug, right? right. With all the trials and certification and so on. And this is what used to happen in the aircraft industry, right? You had to build mm -hmm. a wind tunnel to test a plane that will actually fly. Well, you don't build wind tunnels anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are now comfortable with the simulation and that's it. They will just build the airplane built on the, on the simulation, right? A world will come at which point you will be able to simulate biological system with the chemistry, right? I mean, this mm -hmm. drug, right, will have this chemical reaction with my, my cell structure within the body, right? And it will so, so accurately predict the interaction, right? It will, so as on this Petri dish that kind of Mark was mentioning to sort of invent penicillin, right? These will be done through simulations, right? Now, cool. the pharma industry does is not as advanced as the automotive industry. The automotive industry went through sort of the Autodesk and CAD and all the simulation models. And now every car is built through a CAD CAM system. Similarly, I believe, we believe that the drug industry, the whole biological industry will be in this area. And, and now, this is not to say we are going to move into healthcare. I'm right. just saying give me an area of the general area, right? Someone's going to do it. Yeah. It's also Someone. going to be more multi-physics. Um, and what do I mean like that, right? Today, we can 3D print a heart uh, out, of, out of cells, right? And we, you can use mechanical to say, hey, what should the initial structure look like, right? But then as soon as biology takes over and the heart starts growing, those processes actually supersede anything we can calculate right. in mechanical, right? Because the cell division is more important to how it, mm -hmm. it develops than the structural integrity of, of, of each and every cell. So you, you almost have to combine the two to get, if you want to go into areas like that, right, where you're mm -hmm. 3D printing uh, biological spare parts for all of us, <laughs> that's a whole, you know, it will give multi-physics a whole new meaning. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's a great one. Ah, I love that. But so there'll be a bio business unit at some point at Ansys. Maybe. Let's we, hope so. That was again back to now. Now you have to reformulate the question because that is yes. what do you not even have on the yeah. board that <laughs> exactly. might speculatively be <laughs> twenty years out there somewhere. Well, if, if you're like me, organic chemistry was always an, an area. One of the reasons why I'm a mechanical engineer is because I just couldn't get it. So <laughs> that's, that may be maybe a different group of people to come up with that. Um, I've taken more time than you have promised me. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, any parting thoughts with our listeners before I let you go? Well, thank, thanks at least for, for me the yeah. opportunity, Eric, and for the partnership. Thank you very much. Talk later. Yes, I am yeah. late for my next meeting. So okay. Th thank you guys so much for your time, and hopefully we'll, we'll meet again and uh, do this again. We'll learn more. It's always fun, and it always goes longer than we thought because it's so good to talk about this stuff. So thank you much, guys. Have a good rest of the day. So thank you very much for joining us on this talk. I, I think you realize um, it's a really good look at how smart and capable the people who lead ANSYS are. These are just two of several. Um, and how much they get simulation and product development. Uh, they, they, you know, It's become a large company, but they still are in touch with what the users want and need. Um, you also noticed in the introduction, I got a little embarrassed because I was expecting more executives. Uh, and, and, and like I said in the, before we started the interview, um, we will um, try and make that up in, in uh, 2020. We'll see, we'll see what happens, see if we can get more people on. I think it was a great discussion. And if nothing else, I'd love to follow up with those two. Um, as mentioned in the last podcast, we don't have a commercial. We're, we're kind of our commercials have gotten old and stale, uh, and we're working on getting more professional options, including some outside sponsors. So, in lieu of a commercial, I just want to remind uh, 
and send out a reminder to please consider PADT as your ANSYS partner if you're in the southwestern U.S., including all of California. So we, we do it from Texas to California, and if you're in that area, we'd love to be your ANSYS rep. Uh, also, please think of us as a provider for your 3D printing services, any scanning needs, uh, you know, um, uh, optical scanning, any product design, uh, and of course, simulation training, customization, and consulting services across all the physics that ANSYS represents. We're here to help. We're an 85-person company that loves to do cool engineering, and please do reach out. Uh, we'd, we'd love to work with you. The only news I want to report on very briefly, because that interview did go long, is uh, uh, the stock. Um, it is the day before Thanksgiving, November 27th, uh, around noon, uh, Phoenix time. The price of the ANSYS stock um, is something to be thankful for. Yesterday, it hit an all-time high of $255.18 a share, and it bumped uh, around $254 around noon. Uh, I haven't checked to see what it is uh, later in the day uh, and what it's going to be after the market closes, but it's a good way to, to hit into the holidays uh, with an all-time high for the ANSYS stock price. And uh, on the next uh, episode, we'll, we'll look back a little bit more, and then in January, we'll look at the year. I'm going to skip the rest of the news. Uh, I'm not going to mention any blogs or any other uh, things. I've just got two events to remind folks of. Uh, for those of you who are here in Arizona, especially if you're down in Tucson, our annual customer appreciation event is December 18th at the same place we usually do it. Do check out our website and the events page to learn more. And you've probably been emailed about it as well. But we'd love to see you there if you're a Tucson uh, customer of PADT or any way affiliated with PADT. Even if you just listen to the podcast, come on out to our customer appreciation event. And our last webinar of the year is on December 4th, and we are covering a new product called MotorCAD. It's a it's an external, it's a third-party product that is being tightly integrated into ANSYS, and it is a tool for designing electric motors. Very cool. We love it here. Uh, please do check out the webinar to learn more about it. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at www.padtinc.com slash opt-in. Spread the word with as many people as you can. We'd love to get more subscribers and never, ever hesitate to reach out. Thank you for joining us for the All Things Answers podcast, episode 52. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with Answers Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employer. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com slash blog. And please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.